Well, welcome to church, y'all live. You good? Come on, I want to give my shout out to Lancaster campus. Uh, online if you're watching. It's great to have you in church today. I'm excited to be here. Before I jump into today's message, I want to take just a second for those of you who are part of our church and just give you an update on where we are in our Build the House project and the, the land and development in Canal Winchester. And so I, I felt like, man, it's time to give an update on it. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff that happens right away and then sometimes it slows down. But back in August, August 1st, I should say, the very beginning of this month, our engineers turned in their civil plans, the civil engineering plans for the bridge and the roadway. It was the kind of the big controversial thing with the city, but we had met with them and kind of worked it all out. That got submitted to them. They went over it, reviewed it, and then, you know, returned, uh, like, all the changes they want made to it, which is typical, but it was not that big of a deal. I mean, there's like only 35 changes to it, but that's kind of par for the course. But they're not major ones, or we haven't seen any show-stopping things. And so we're, our, our engineers are making the changes this week. They're going back to the city by the end of this coming week for them to review. And then we hope quickly after that to hear back from them. If everything is kind of ironed out, that we would get the civil permit in hand, be able to move forward. That has been the biggest challenge in this whole project, has been just getting the civil permit. And I'm just here to tell you, we are on the edge of the promised land. We are, we're right, we're just like, it's like right there, you can see it, you can taste it. And, and that brings me to where we are with Moses. Did you see the segue? It was just so seamless. We're, we're jumping right to the end of kind of our story of Moses today. So we're making a big jump, 40 years in fact, to the moment where Moses and the Israelites are just about to go into the promised land. And if you've missed any part of this series, go watch it because it's, it's amazing to hear about a legend like Moses who, who had real challenges like we have. M Moses was a real guy, just like us, who dealt with some real issues like we do. And that's what I love about making Moses real. And, and so Moses has this one dream. Here's Moses' dream from the moment he was called by God. And that is to lead the people of God, the Israelite nation, into the what? The promised land. That, that's, his, that's everything for him is to get to the promised land. And Moses, um, he ends up spending nearly 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because of the Israelites. Now, I don't know if you know the story real well or not, but I'm going to fast track it. We left off at the plagues. You remember the little froggies, the cute little froggies? Right, We left off there, and then God did a bunch more miracles. Finally, the Pharaoh lets the people go. Uh, God does a miracle through the Red Sea. Most of you heard of that or you've seen it on movie. And then God leads them ultimately after that to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And for there they camp for two years where God has to reprogram them because they spent the previous 430 years living in a pagan culture where they just believed in a million different gods and there was no one true God. And so God had to kind of like reframe their mindset as a nation. That's where God gave Moses, what, the Ten Commandments and where God said, here's how I want you to live. And from there, God takes them to the edge of the promised land. This is all within two years, by the way. They're right on the edge. They send down a scout team. They're to go in and kind of get the lay of the land, figure out how they're going to attack first. And when that team comes back, there was 12 of them, maybe you know the story, 10 of them came back full of fear. We can't do it. They're too big. They're going to wipe us out. The other two said, no, 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 with God's help, we can do it. The problem was the entire uh, nation listened to the 10. 
Fear typically will trump faith in our lives if we have fear. And, and so fear takes over and they rebel. They're like, no, we're not going in. God's like, go in. They're like, no, we're not going in. So God gets upset and he says, fine, you're not going to go in. Then they're like, yeah, we'll go in. They're like, no, too late. You ever done that parenting? No, too late. You're not going in. And he says, you're all going to stay here in the wilderness until everyone in this generation dies off. Only your kids will get to have the promise. And so they spend the next 38 years wandering in the wilderness just trying to survive. Here's Moses. Imagine you're the leader. You've done everything that seemingly God wanted you to do, and you're stuck in the wilderness with them. Can you imagine the frustration that would set in? Can you imagine? And I bet you some of you can't imagine. Because Moses' life, the way he lived, is something that we experienced on a small scale, but in our own lives. Have you ever found yourself in the space where you're like stuck between maybe like where you wish you were, but maybe not where you came from? Have you ever found yourself stuck in between, I like to say, the past and the promise? You can find yourself kind of just wandering around. Maybe you felt like that in your own spiritual development. There's a moment when you gave your life to Christ and it was, oh, so exciting. I can't wait. I'm going to change the world. And then three years in, it's just like, ah, it just kind of, I don't know. I'm not going anywhere. I just feel like I'm wandering. Have you ever felt stuck somewhere? You're, you're in the middle where maybe you hear that, that, that God has joy for you. And so there's a promise of joy, the promised land, but, but you still feel discouraged almost daily. There, there's peace. You hear about there's peace. He's the Prince of Peace. I should feel peace, but inside, I still feel anxiety all the time. Maybe some of you know what that's like. Or just it's, There's something about being stuck in the process. I want the promise. I don't want to live in the process. I want to be debt-free. I don't want to go through the process to get out of debt. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to have a great marriage, but you don't want to go through the process of which you're going to go counseling and you're going to have to deal with some stuff. I want to get to this point of freedom, but I don't want to go through the process. And sometimes we'll find ourselves stuck in the middle of the process. Here's what I've discovered. It's really hard to trust God in those places. I found that in my own life. It's hard to trust God when, when you can see the promises ahead and the past is behind, but you don't know where you are or where you're going. And that's kind of where we get to in this story today. And we're going to pick up Moses' story as we close out the series from Numbers chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible or an electronic device, then, then you can get it out. Numbers chapter 20. I, I want to I talk about this space in the wilderness. Because I think we all feel it. Maybe, maybe you felt it in your life emotionally. Maybe you feel like you've been in that place where you're just stuck in, in your marriage, in a relationship. Maybe you feel like you're stuck. And we wonder, we question, we're like, why am I stuck here? I, I want to talk about that, and I want to give you some handles. Like, like, how do I move on from this? I want to get into the promises of God in my life. And in Numbers chapter 20, uh, we're going to find Moses does something that would easily go down as his greatest regret. I bet all of us, if you lived a little bit of time, that you look back on your life and you could immediately think of at least one thing that you would say is your greatest regret. Can you think about just one thing that maybe is your greatest regret, right? We all do things that we regret. We all make decisions we regret. Isn't that right, Urban Meyer? We all make, you know what I'm saying? Like there's moments in your life where you're going to, you go, I, I live to regret what I've done. That's this moment for Moses. 
in Numbers chapter 20. And, and so if you want to follow along with me, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, Miriam was Moses' sister and Aaron's sister. So I keep that in mind, okay, contextually, because he, he's just gone through a, a grieving process. This is painful. And it says in verse 2, Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died. <laughs> like, how often do you ever feel that badly, right? Like, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. If only God had killed us. That's crazy. And he says, verse 4, why did you bring the Lord's community into this place, this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why? All these why questions. Why, Moses? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Here's their complaint. Why don't you leave us in Egypt? Apparently, slavery was better than being in the place they were in in the wilderness. At least that's how they felt. Here's what I've discovered. Um, I think when it comes to our past, a lot of times we have a really short memory of what it was really like. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like even when you get older and you remember back to when you were in high school, and you remember back to the glory days. And you remember about how you were a stud on the team. You only sat on the bench for half the game. You, remember, you know, but you ever notice how sometimes you can relive moments of the past, but you often don't relive it the way it really went down. You relive it the way you want to remember it. That, that's what they're doing right here, right? We, well, you remember in Egypt, at least we had some meat. You remember in Egypt, at least there was some water that we could get. Yeah, but have you forgotten about the whips? Have you forgotten about the way you were forced into slave labor? Have you forgotten about how Moses went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh took away your straw and you still had to make bricks? You've forgotten all of that. That's why, by the way, addicts tend to go back to where they were. You know why? It's because what they remember is the high. They never remember what it felt like coming off of it. We can have a tendency to remember the past sometimes not like it really happened. And we always do that when we want to complain about our present. There's no water to drink. Now, I don't, I don't know. We can't really identify what it's like to, to go without water. I mean, for us, the biggest catastrophe we have is when you go to Kroger and all of the cheap water bottles are sold out and you've got to buy the expensive stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know... What it's like to imagine they're in a desert, it's over 100 degrees, there's millions of them and animals and they're starting to lay down and they won't get up and you see your money dying in the desert and you send teams out in miles every direction traveling for two days coming back going, we can't find water. We're going to die. They have a very real need. But they begin to complain against Moses. You know, they weren't really complaining against Moses. Do any of you have a guess as who they were really complaining against? They're complaining against God. Moses was just the mouthpiece. He, he, he was just the messenger. Don't blame the messenger. By the way, everybody wants to be the leader until it goes bad. I want to be in charge until there's not enough money. I want to be in charge until there's mutiny, right? 
And, and so here's Moses. He's in a bad spot. And so Moses does what any of us would do, I think, in this moment. In verse 6 through 8, it says that Moses and Aaron, they went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting. That's the place where they would connect with God. And they fell face down. It says, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff. We've talked a lot about his staff throughout the series. Take the staff and you and your brother, Aaron, gather the assembly together. What, what, what did God tell them to do? Here's the command. Say it out loud with me. They were to what? Speak. Everybody say it again. Come on, Lancaster. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. I never knew there was water in rocks. Did you? I shake them all the time. There's no, okay. He says, you will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. If you know the story, you'll know what happens. I think it's so cool that God will sometimes show up and do something out of nothing. Like God can provide water out of a rock. God can take a single rock and use it to defeat a giant. In fact, if you don't praise God enough, Jesus said that he'll bring praise out of the rocks. God doesn't need something to do the impossible. God can do the impossible in your life from absolutely nothing. So what does that mean? When you need provision, God said, I can use anything in your life to bring provision to you. When you need healing, God can use the doctor, but it also means God doesn't need to use the doctor in medicine. God can do it any way that he wants to. And so God tells Moses, he's like, I, I want you to grab your staff and we're going to find a rock. And I just need a rock. That's pretty easy to find in the desert. Let's get a rock. And I think I imagine the moment that, that this happens, that Moses has a flashback. Like maybe PTSD kind of takes over. And, and he has a flashback to nearly 40 years before this very moment when he dealt with the same issue with their parents. Now, now this, is, this is a different time. I, I need you to understand this. This is the second time that Moses has had to deal with people who want to kill him because there's no water. In fact, he flashes back. I imagine the moment God says, hey, we're going to find a rock. He remembers Exodus 17. I want to read to you something from Exodus 17. You don't need to turn there, but I wanted you to see this where he has the same problem with mom and dad. Remember the generation that God said, you're going to wander in the wilderness till they all die off? So right after the moment when God brought them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea on dry ground, and he does miracle after miracle, and then they get to a place in the wilderness where they have no water. And they begin to grumble and complain against Moses. They're talking about stoning him to death, to death and turning around and going back to Egypt. And so Moses doesn't know what to do. And so Exodus 17, let me read this to you. God, he goes to God and God tells him what to do. Verse, verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Now this is with mom and dad, not the kids, not the teenagers, not the 20-year-olds. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff, this sounds so familiar, with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called that place Massah and Meribah. That's a cool name. Massah 
and Meribah. Everybody say those two words out loud with me. Massah and Meribah. Now I want to show you what they mean. In fact, they tell us what they mean. It says right here, Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And if God told Moses 40 years earlier, take the staff and strike the rock. And God brought water out of the rock. And so Moses has this moment with the parents and he calls the place. This is something they would do. We don't, we don't often do this, but sometimes it's like putting a memorial on a moment. You ever do a, put a memorial on a moment? Sometimes it's good to do that. And so he calls the place Massah and Meribah. Massah, testing. Meribah, quarreling. In other words, this was the place. I remember the place with the big rock, the horrible, the split rock. This is the place where the people wrestled, they fought, they complained, they argued, and they tested God. This is the place where they, they, they came at God with all kinds of questions. God, are you even here? God, do you lead us out here to die? God, are you going to show up? God, are you going to answer our prayer? God, are you going to do this? And listen, they're not the only ones that sometimes wrestle and test God. We do it too. You know, when you find yourself in the middle of battling cancer and you don't know if there's a promise or not, that's a place where we question God. Do you know when you don't have the job and you're not sure of the provision and you haven't seen any leads? That's when we start to question God. When, when the marriage seems like it's falling apart and you can't figure out how to put it back together. God, where are you? And they come at God with questions. They're going to test him. Here's the thing. When it comes to testing, we test because we don't trust. That's why we test something, right? And sometimes it's a good thing, right? You, there are some things you want to have tested. Like, I don't want to get on an airplane with some guy that hasn't been tested to fly it, right? I don't want to fly 30,000 feet in the air with somebody that's really good at video games. I want somebody that's been tested. How about you? Like, I want to know that on the road, your teenager is not driving around in a 110 weapon without being tested. Hello? I need to know they've been tested. You want to know my daughter's been tested, don't you? Yes? I don't want to go under the knife and have some surgeon open me up and play around on the inside without knowing first that he's been tested. Like, like there, there's a level of, of testing that is completely normal. We, we know that. And the primary reason why we don't trust is the very reason why we often test. When we question God, I got questions for you, I'm going to question God. What we're really doing is we're testing him. That's what we're doing. Now, by the way, I want to say this. There's a difference between having questions for God and questioning God. There's a difference. Okay, I always like to say this. God can handle your questions. And you got big questions. And some of you have questions, and that's why you haven't been able to come to a place of faith. We, we, we all can have questions. You get into a hard spot, you got questions. I get it. You run out of water, you got questions. It's okay. God can handle your questions. He's not intimidated by your questions. Well, well I don't understand how did we get here. God, God can handle that question. I think sometimes in the church, and I think pastors have been afraid, and so sometimes we'll just tell people, stop asking questions. 
Just believe. I don't do that. I don't believe in that. The only reason why we say that is because we don't have the answer to all the questions. And so we're afraid of, of telling people, you can bring questions to God. I say it's okay. But there's a difference in a posture of having a question for God and questioning God. The people that will understand this difference the most are parents. Moms and dads. Parents, have you ever been questioned by your kids? I'm not saying they have questions. You all know the difference, don't you? But they've been questioned, like they question you, right? It's not, they don't want to know the answer. <laughs> They're questioning your authority. They're questioning that you're good. They're questioning, I was this kid. I've done this. I've questioned, why do I got to be in at 1030? Everybody else gets to say, why, why do I have to be in there? Well, because we have a reason. We want you to be in there. I don't care. Why do I get, you know? And if you ever had your teenagers, parents question you and they don't understand why and they don't want to know why they just want what they want and then when they get mad and they don't get what they want because they've been questioning you ever haven't run away from you and they're saying you're the worst parent in the world you don't love me you don't care about me you don't. slam the door i know no one here has ever dealt with that right moms and dads like th there's a difference between coming to god humbly with a question i don't understand why we're facing this Show me coming at God with a test. And the reason why we test God is because we don't ultimately trust God. What, what we're saying is, I don't think you're good and I don't think you're going to provide. I know you, you might have got me out of that jam, but I don't think you're going to get me out of this jam. I know none of you ever processed that or felt that way, but, but I have. And so we can understand a little bit of God's perspective when he, gave, when he gives this command. That, by the way, I don't know if you ever heard this command, but it, it does come from the Bible. That we are not to put the Lord our God to the what? To the test. Do you, do you know Jesus told us that? When Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tempted by the devil. The devil's trying to get him to turn a rock into bread. The devil takes him to a high place and says, I'll give you all of this jump. If you're really the son of God, he'll protect you, right? If you really are who you say you are. Do you know what Jesus' response was? He said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you know where Jesus got that from? He got it from Moses. Do you know where Moses got that from? He got it from God after this moment in Exodus 17. Moses, when he would go up to the Mount of Sinai and, and God would give him commands, it was in this space, I believe, where God would give Moses a command that he, he gives to all of us. And I want to I I look at that for a second. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Here's what Moses said. This was a command of God's. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at where? Massah. You remember that place where you fought with me? where you didn't trust me? You, you remember that place where you tested me? Don't ever do that again. Now listen, that's not God's way of saying, don't you have questions for me. That's not what God's saying. What God was really saying was this, you have tested me and I've proven myself to pass the test. Don't test me anymore. Come on, your parents ever said that to your kids? Don't test me anymore. The reason why God says this, don't test me, is because he already passed the test. 
He has already proven to us that he is good. He's proven to us he is faithful. He said, look, do you remember when I brought water from the rock? That was me. Do you remember when I did the miracles in Egypt? That was me. Do you remember when you walked through the Red Sea on dry ground? That was me. So don't put me to the test because I've already proven that I can pass the test. And here's what I want to say. I think a lot of times in our place, spiritually, maybe emotionally, we test God. And then God doesn't seem to answer. All right, God, if you're really there, pick this light green, right? We, we test God. Have somebody just out of the blue offer. And then it doesn't happen. Let me tell you why. It's because God doesn't feel like he needs to prove himself over and over to us. By the way, God answers one test. Guess what happens the next time you get into the wilderness and there's no water? You'll test them again. So God's gotten to a point where he's like, I have given you everything you need. And the real problem is, I think, as we get to a place in our lives where we're so focused on the moment, we're so focused on our pain, we're so focused on this situation that the problem is we have already forgotten his faithfulness. I would argue we do this a lot. You know, our, our short-term memory? You know how we pictured Egypt? You know how we pictured that? Oh, it was so great there. No, it wasn't. You know what the problem is? We have forgotten his faithfulness. Some of you understand this. And you might be stuck in a place where you're saying, I might not be where I want to be, but you at least ought to recognize I'm also not where I used to be. I'm in process. I know I'm not in the promised land, but I'm not living in the past. Some of you have reason to praise God. And you'll come to church discouraged and defeated. I don't know but if you know this truth inside of you and that is this that some of you would not be here if it were not for God's faithfulness some of you would not have survived that car accident you were in you have no idea why you're still here some of your marriages would not have made it if God had not intervened and done something supernatural in that moment and so what the problem is is that we've we've often forgotten his faithfulness because of our momentary situation and, and so if you've ever been in Masa if you've ever lived in a place where you you're questioning God I don't think you're really I don't think you care I don't think you're there I don't think you're hearing my prayers why won't you do if you've ever been in that place I want to say this first you're human and I also want you to know that I've lived there too I've lived in Massah. I feel like I, I, I've been in a season of being in Massah, in the wilderness. Even where I've questioned, like, God, how do you lead us here only to seemingly leave us here? Why is it delay after delay? You ever felt that in your life? I don't understand why it's not moving forward. I felt that way about the project. I felt that way about our vision. Why is it? I don't understand. I don't understand. And sometimes it's only when you get to the promised land that you'll be able to look back and realize, oh, I see what you were doing. I've lived there. And what this generation, the new generation doesn't realize is that they're standing on the edge of the promise. What Moses does not realize in this moment is that he's standing on the edge of the promise. And a whole new generation has come up. A generation that did not know the God that performed these miracles in Egypt. 
a generation that was too young to recall those things. So God speaks to Moses in Numbers chapter 20, and he says, grab your staff, let's find a rock, and I want you to speak to the rock. Now, here's what happens. I want to read to you what happens. We're back to Numbers 20. This is the young generation. We're back to today for Moses. In verse 9, it says, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, now listen to the tone of his voice. But, but let's have a little grace because his sister just died. They're ready to stone him. He says, listen, you rebels. Must we, I emphasize, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and did what? Everybody say it out loud. He. Strike one. And nothing happened. That's odd because the last time I struck the rock 40 years ago, water came out. I better hit it again. He strikes it a second time. That's what he did. He struck the rock twice with a staff. And it says that water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Yeah. Success. The whole community, they're all excited. They're like, water. The stories we've heard of Moses are true. On the surface, to everybody, this looks like success. But for Moses and Aaron, it's actually the greatest failure. Why is that? What did God tell Moses to do this time? He said to do what with the rock, to speak to the rock. 40 years ago, he said, strike the rock. This day, he says, speak to the rock. Take the staff, but speak to the rock. For some reason, God wanted to do something in a new way. I have found that God very seldom ever repeats the way he does something in our lives. And this is a new generation. And it's a new day. And so he has a new way and a new reason for doing this. And he misses the mark. And so here's what God says to him in verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not what? Everyone say it out loud. Because you did not trust test because we don't trust because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites you will not bring this community into the land I have given them these were the waters of Meribah right because they Israelites quarreled with the Lord where he was proved holy among them Moses's entire dream is dashed on this rock I've, I've heard this story, I've preached from this story before. And in the back of my mind, if I could be honest with you, and this is just my outside looking in, wanting to judge God, I've always felt like it was a little unfair. After all that Moses had done on behalf of God, here, here he does one thing. He strikes it rather than speaks to it. And God says, because of this one moment, you're not going to see the promised land either. And I, and I felt kind of harsh, but then I began to kind of really process and I began to ask God. I was like, God, why did this matter to you so much? 
Why did this matter? And then I began to think about how this was a new generation. And I wondered how the new generation had thought about Moses. I wonder how this new generation had, had heard the stories of all the things that their parents had witnessed at the hand of Moses. I, I wonder if they had heard about the great exploits of God but through the lens of, you know about Moses, you hear about Moses, Moses, he took his staff and he, and then they struck the Nile River and it turned to blood. You remember when Moses and Aaron, they held the staff up and then the frogs came out. Do you remember when Moses stood up in front of the Red Sea and we all thought, my parents thought we were done for, we we're doomed. And when he did that, the waters came back. You remember Moses when he did that thing and he threw the stick into the water and then it became sweet so we could drink it. Do you remember Moses, Moses, Moses? I wonder if this new generation had seen Moses as their savior, Moses as their leader, and not God. And so here, God wants to do something to separate. By the way, do you know what the word holy means? It means to set apart. He wants to do something to separate himself from Moses so that they know that God is the only one you trust in. God is the one who will lead you in the promised land. But what does Moses do? Moses takes it into his own hands. Why? Because he did not trust God he takes the staff and I wonder if in his mind he's thinking I don't know if I can sp speak to I can't speak well I don't know if I could speak to the rock but I know that I can strike it and I remember water came out and so that's what he does he takes it on his own strength I wonder what it would have looked like had he cried out to God in front of everybody and spoken to the rock that they would have put their trust in God and not in Moses. And I wondered, what if this moment that I always feel like is so harsh was actually way bigger than I even imagined? What if what really mattered wasn't even how the water came out of the rock, but who brought the water out of the rock? And so I guess what I'm saying is, we get to a place, Massah, testing, questioning God. And what we don't realize is that I believe that oftentimes God will lead us through a wilderness, listen, to test us. What if this was a moment of testing for Moses? We think it's, we're testing God. But no, 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 no. You think you're testing me, but actually I'm testing you. Hey, Job, I know you're questioning me, but I've got some questions for you. When we think we're testing God, what we don't realize is that God might use the wilderness in our lives to test our hearts. That, that's why Moses later, as reflecting on all that had happened, I think Moses in what he had lost of not being able to go into the promised land, 40 years waiting for this moment, he would write these words of remembrance to the people of Israel before they would go in in Deuteronomy 8.2. He would tell them and remind them, remember, 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 remember this. How the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Here's why. To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. And then I realized... The reason why Moses couldn't go into the promised land is because his heart didn't measure up. There was something in his heart that I believe that would not allow him to handle the success of the promise. 
because he wanted to take credit for bringing water out of the rock. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this. God may take us through a wilderness and you may be in one. You might be in a wilderness physically. You might be in a wilderness spiritually, emotionally, in your marriage, in your financial world, in your life with your children. You might be in that, you're in that space. You're stuck in between. I'm, I'm not where I, I thought God had for me and I'm not where God I thought was going to take me, but I'm not where I used to be. And in that space, instead of questioning and testing God, would you look at it from a different perspective to say, just maybe, just maybe, God's actually using this season to test you. Here's why. Because we all know this to be true. Whatever is tested can be trusted. That which is tested can be trusted. Moses did not pass the test. He died in the wilderness. Never experiencing the promise. And I guess, I guess the, the thing I would encourage you with is if you're in a place, listen to me, if someone in Lancaster, if this is for you, if you're in a place where you feel like, I don't know how to get out of here, can I make a suggestion? Start by changing your perspective and you posture yourself with humility and say, you can go to God. God, I don't understand why, but I know that you're in control. I don't understand when, but I trust your timing. I don't understand, but God, I'm going to trust you. And so in humility, and maybe for some of you this week, that's what you need to do. You need to change your posture toward God and say, God, I'm coming with humility. I'm not going to question. I'm going to come and say, God, would you show me what you're doing? Show me why I'm here and what you're doing in me. Because Jesus said these words, if we can be trusted with little, then he can trust us with much. So I wonder if it's about humbling ourselves, learning to trust God in the wilderness so that he can bring us into the promise. Amen. Would you pray with me, both our campuses? God, I thank you that you have given us an example from Moses and his life and his regret so that maybe we don't repeat that. And God, I, I don't know what kind of situations are going on in our lives and the lives of our church. But I know that there's some people here that feel like they're in a dry place. There's some that feel like they're just living in this desert place, a wilderness. They don't know what's going on. And maybe, maybe these thoughts have come into your mind, if that's you, that, that God is not good, that God is not fair, that God is not to be trusted. Listen, I want you to know God has already proven himself when he raised Jesus from the dead. He has already proven that He is a good God. He has already proven that He is a gracious God. And what He's waiting for us is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time, He will lift us up. And so I, I pray, God, right now for us to have a posture of humility, to say, God, what are you doing in us? And to say, God, I trust you. I'm not gonna wrestle, I'm not gonna fight. I'm gonna come with honesty and integrity. I'm going to bring questions, but from a posture of saying, God, show me what you're doing. Show me who you are in this season. And I pray, God, for the season that is to come for our church. God, I believe that we are on the edge of the promise. We are on the edge of the advancement, that we are in this season together. And God, we declare together that we trust in you. We trust in your time. We trust in your provision. We trust in your plans, God. And in your due time, you will unfold it. 
God, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you, God, for doing something in our hearts today. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everyone said together, come on, can we thank God for his faithfulness in our lives? Amen.